Hello and welcome to Sean Keaveney's Not So Simple, the podcast collaboration between myself and the smart thinkers of Pan Macmillan. They say that these days self-obsession is a modern plague thanks to social media, but I prefer a simpler life, a good book and a glass of wine while I settle down and see how many Instagram likes of my photo of myself reading clocks up. So with that in mind, my guest today is Will Storr, author of the new book, Selfie. Will is one of the most lauded and established journalists working in the UK. His features have appeared in various publications, including The Guardian, The Times, Observer, GQ, Marie Claire and The Sydney Morning Herald. He's also a contributing editor at Esquire magazine and the author of several books, including Will Store vs. The Supernatural and The Heretics. For his new book, he's been all over the world investigating the history of the idea of the self and how society ended up as self-obsessed as it currently is today. Here's Will with an exclusive extract for us from Selfie. As an 83-year-old in 1985, Carl Rogers was still complaining that Freud, that authoritarian European, was being taken seriously. Freud's ideas of psychoanalysis were seductive and disgusting, he told his biographer, and it was socially reprehensible that people still hadn't moved on. Even the Freudian tradition of the therapist sitting out of view behind the patient who lay on the couch was somewhat repugnant. He apparently wasn't joking when he recommended that a study should have been made of the children of Freudian analysts. If one needs any evidence as to the failure of the psychoanalytic point of view, it certainly resided in the children of the psychoanalysts, he said. They were a mess, almost without exception. In the 1960s, Rogers helped found the discipline known as humanistic psychology, which in turn inspired the human potential movement, whose adherents believed in the incredible power of the individual and our almost unlimited capacity to transform into better and better versions of ourselves. Rogers and his disciples became convinced that the non-sick can benefit from psychological work. We had the idea that if it was good for neurotics, it would be good for the normals, Dr. William Coulson, Chief of Staff at Rogers Western Behavioural Sciences Institute in California, has said. Rogers created encounter groups, which were therapeutic spaces in which people, under his guidance, were freed of the usual social expectations and permitted to be honest with themselves and others, thus creating an atmosphere of trust, daring and radical authenticity in which they could burrow through to each other's perfect core, leading to breakthrough and transformation. In 1964, Rogers received funding for a three-year study that would develop the encounter idea using a network of institutions run by the nuns of the Immaculate Heart Community in California. In a 1994 interview, Coulson, who took part in the study, described it as a disaster. They began by showing the nuns a film of an encounter group. The people in that film seemed to be better people at the end of the session than they were at the beginning, he said. They were more open with one another, they were less deceitful, they didn't hide their judgments from one another, if, if they didn't like one another they were inclined to say so, and if they were attracted to one another they were inclined to say that too. So they went along with us, and they trusted us. But, according to Coulson, this newfound authenticity unleashed a firestorm of lesbianism and rebellion. There were some 650 nuns when we began, he said. Within a year after our first interventions, 300 of them were petitioning Rome to get out of their vows. They did not want to be under anyone's authority, except the authority of their imperial inner selves. Rogers cancelled that study a year early. We thought we could make the nuns better than they were, Coulson said, but we destroyed them. But encounter would only become more intense, more dangerous and more popular 
Uh, four years before the start of the Nun experiments, another of the human potential movement's pioneers, the author Aldous Huxley, gave a lecture at the University of California, Berkeley. In it, he argued that the incredible and rapid changes that had taken place over the recent decades were a demonstration of the awesome potential that lay latent in humans. He marvelled at our future possibilities. After all, he said, in a confident yet utterly false assertion that's still believed by many today, neurologists have shown us that no human being has ever made use of as much as 10% of all the neurons in his brain. And perhaps if we set about it in the right way, we might be able to produce an extraordinary things out of this strange piece of work that a man is. Huxley advocated the foundation of a kind of base camp for exploratory research into the human potentialities. Sitting in the audience that day happened to be a man who'd had a strikingly similar idea. 29-year-old Richard Price would, along with his partner, fellow Stanford psychology graduate Michael Murphy, go on to establish the human potential movement's most holy site. What began as a place for earnest lectures became much weirder in 1963 with the arrival of Carl Rogers-inspired encounter groups, which were described by Murphy as intense stress sessions, often lasting at least 48 straight hours, in which 15 or more participants meet in a room to develop and discuss their feelings for one another. His and Price's base camp was to become a place of legend, scandal and suicide, a place where Rogers, along with most, if not all, of humanistic psychology's most iconic thinkers and leaders, held workshops and increasingly crazed sessions. It was a place that rang with ideas that would change America's self and then the world's. It was a place called Esalen. 8.30pm, map in hand, having plotted my path amongst buildings named Maslow, Huxley and Fritz, I finally arrived at the big yurt. It was a small round structure with wooden floors and a ceiling that had been set up like a theatre. There was a stage and powerful lights that beamed towards its centre. I sat myself nervously on the edge of the back row, one of about 20 others, and watched Paula Shaw, the course leader, enter the spotlight. I knew almost nothing about what was to happen, apart from that it would be ongoing for six days and we would start in the morning and work late, often until midnight. Months earlier, the woman on Esalen's booking line had told me that this was the closest thing they had to the encounter groups that, that a visitor might have expected in the 1960s. The catalogue explained that it held honoured status at the Institute and was considered a rite of passage for staffers. It would be, it said, a voyage through your own humanity from which we'd emerge with greater authenticity. It was, went the promise, an opportunity to experience yourself in ways you may have dreamed about but never thought possible. It was called the Max. Paula Shaw was on a seat at the centre of the stage, scanning us silently, teeth sitting on lower lip, eyes filled with menace and delight. She was born in the Bronx in 1941, and, and it would quickly become clear, remained as tough and sharp as any Bronxite, even if, at the age of 74, she was a little deaf. She said nothing. She continued saying nothing. And the longer her silence continued, the greater became the unease. People began shuffling, coughing, tittering. And then she still said nothing. It was masterful. Paula had us totally. Then, without warning, Welcome to the Max! Welcome to the Max, indeed. That was an extract from Will Storr's brilliant book, Selfie, and I'm delighted to say I have him here with me in the studio now. Good morning. Good morning, Sean. Thank you. Or good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on mm. where you're listening to this podcast, of course. Um, it's the preeminent. So the subject of our social media solipsistic times, isn't it? The self. Like modern society seems like a cathedral built to celebrate our unique and wonderful selves. <laughs> but you start this book with the subject of suicide, really, which is completely the, the opposite. Um, 
what what what's perfectionism that i just want to start with something as blatantly obvious as that but <laughs> but this is where the, this this seems to be the kernel of the book to me yeah absolutely because it begins with this sort of you know, realization that yes you're right you know the modern world is this kind of cathedral to the self and you know we we're, we're given all these kind of inspirational messages all the time you can be whatever you want to be you can do whatever you want to do you've just got to try hard enough uh, you know, so it's all very optimistic and uh, individualistic and wonderful. But the underside of that is there's just a lot of misery going around. Like we see increases in um, suicidal ideation. We're seeing increases in anxiety, depression, self-harm, eating disorders. So, it, you know, it felt to me like we're living in a, almost like an age of perfectionism. You know, we're, we're, we're all kind of expected to kind of follow this hugely kind of um, pressurised dream of becoming this perfect individual and of course you know real life reality is failure mostly it's failure mm. so what happens when we fail or well, you know we turn in on ourselves and, and it causes all this kind of misery so the, the question becomes well, how did we get here you know how did we arrive in this kind of very harsh environment that seems to be having such a sort of deleterious effect on the human self and we've we've really got the ancient Greeks to blame, haven't we? <laughs> this is the surprising thing to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've never been particularly interested in history, but like, yeah, when I started finding out, you know, okay, so is individualism or individualistic? So where does that begin? Well, then the answer actually is, is in ancient Greece, and it, it really is an extraordinary change. You know, before ancient Greece in the West, it was all it's like Game of Thrones. You know, it's gods and monsters and kings, and then suddenly, you know, these these people came along, and and actually, they you know, they had a much more kind of rationalistic understanding of of who we are they, you know they, they had this individualistic understanding we're all individuals but crucially we were individuals who could be perfected we're all on this path of perfectionism and um and from that you know you get the kind of you know all familiar with these sort of gorgeous statues these yeah. male and female sort figures michelangelo style yeah statues. yeah which which wouldn't look out of place on the cover of a men, of men's health today <laughs> so, so 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 we still see these ideas very much with us today this idea of that that we are individuals you know existing in the world and we are you know we should be on this path towards perfection and that's that's sort of rung out to me and you sort of touched on it there this idea it seems quite pernicious that you can be all that you want to be you can achieve anything you want to achieve but you, you just simply have to put in the work you simply have to want it and will it into being Do you, are you saying that that is quite a dangerous idea yeah, to a degree this is the toxic lie at the heart of our culture i mean anybody who watches the x factor yeah. you know what happens when Simon cow goes you know why do you want to win the x factor why, why are you here because i just want it so much yeah. you know you know you very rarely get because i've worked really hard <laughs> you know i've been practicing and practicing and practicing i want it so much that's their answer and, that, and that's what we're told and it and, it, and it's a it, it's a lie it's a, it's a you know we are we, we exist in this kind of culture in ignorance of our biology in denial of our biology and our biology makes us limited we're all we're all limited in various important ways it's simply impossible we cannot be whoever we want to be yeah. we cannot do whatever we want to do uh you know but but you know of course there are good things about this you know individualism does push us onto it, it makes us aim for the stars which is great but also there's this dark underside where you know we're, we're not all beyonce yeah <laughs> unfortunately we're not all well. michael jordan uh, and so you know for the rest of us you know we we, we, we we're dealing with uh, failure in such a way that we because we're told we can do this stuff potentially when we don't achieve it we blame ourselves we turn in on ourselves and and and, and you know in extreme cases this can lead to kind of people thinking suicidal thoughts and yeah. self-harming this that and the other oh it, there's some fascinating case studies and again towards the beginning of the book it's the the the, the example of john who becomes a sort of gangland boss very quickly when his, when his world starts to fall apart a little bit 
and then you you fold in these ideas of tribal the tribal self and and the idea that we are kind of zombies in a way we think we're in control we think we're autonomous we think we can make a decision and i'm going to be the greatest at this but you're saying that there are many other things at play including ancient cultural codes and yeah stuff that i mean this is so, so actually yeah the book begins before ancient greece it begins in our kind of deeper like, evolutionary history mm. and, and you know one of the things that that we are you know we've, we've but for most of the time we've been on this earth we've been living in hunter-gatherer tribes of, of no more than around 140 150 people uh and that you know and we still have these hunter-gatherer brains we are still a tribal animal you know we think tribally and and and, and we see um, a lot of this play out in social media, of course. You know, one of, one, of, one of the ramifications of being tribal is that is that when we become aware of somebody breaking the kind of particular, you know, the codes and mm. rules and beliefs of the tribe, uh, you know, we want to police the tribe, we want to protect the tribe, so we viciously respond against them. And, you know, I, I believe that's at the root of a lot of this problem we're seeing on social media, where, where, you know, if somebody disagrees with us or has a viewpoint which diverges from us in any significant way, or there's, a, or there's you know, from the views of our in-group there's this overwhelming kind of response against them and you get you know vile kind of very violent behavior and that is tribal you know that is ancient ancient primal stuff that 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 this social media uh, is triggering in us it's a a public shaming situation isn't it and that's one of the things you you say isn't it that going back to those tribal times in, and even it's a very chimp-like thing to to, totally. to act like uh, mm. in the sense that in 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 essence we uh, idolize people or, or, or lionize people who can be kind, strong but kind, and we attack people who are unkind. Mm. But that's what does what does somebody like Donald Trump fit into that? And that you know <laughs> that 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 kind of greed is good mentality or the the hyper uh, sort of cap- capitalist com- competition fit into all that as well is that there's nothing very kind about that is no there? I, I mean so i mean so, so what the evolutionary psychologists tell us is is that you know what, what we wanted in those tribes was to was to do was to get along and get ahead you know we wanted to get along with everybody else and you know get everybody's support and be popular but he also wanted to get ahead mm. and those two things are kind of uh, uh, you know very much sort of in tension uh, uh, you know in a state of tension and and you know and modern politics is you know you can you could see it from this perspective as as being this tribal war so donald trump is the leader of his tribe hillary clinton or bernie sanders depending on where you know where you want to be uh, is the other leader of their tribe and you know it just so happens that um you know donald trump you know, won that particular mm. tribal fight, skirmish. that tribal war, that skirmish, yeah. And you know what happened? It, it, I, I, and you know, so 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 you see in 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 chimps too when the when the when that particular leader fights, then wade up to the top of the um the the, the chimp tribe, they change their behaviour, so they mm. make a very public display. The chimps of 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 tampering down the violence and reaching out to the little guy and going, we know we're all going to be okay. And even you know, the day after Donald Trump got elected, even though. <laughs> you know, none of us could possibly believe it. He did, you know, now's the time for coming together. Yeah. Hillary, you did an amazing fight. You know, y- 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 yeah, the same sort of... patterns are kind of playing out. Even though we know it's nonsense, there's still this deep urge to, yeah. th- that's what, we, we know what a leader should be. Uh, and, you know, it, it's interesting too that even someone like Donald Trump st- still feels as if he has to pretend yeah. that he is this kind of non-sexist, you know, like progressive guy. That's the, that's the disguise he tries to put on, even though nobody believes it for a minute. So, 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 so there, there is still this attempt at, at kind of embodying these kind of perfect leader uh, qualities, yeah. this balance of, uh, you know, strength and empathy. Strength and empathy is what we're all aiming for. But, but we often fail. That's, that's one of the messages of the book, isn't it? And, and, but the culture of East Asia, 
is very different again isn't it? it's much more collectivist it's is that where the we get the idea that buddhism and things like that are, are, are more gentle and healing uh, way of of living our life it's certainly well this is interesting because it's, it's certainly a different way of living our life but 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 you know anybody who works at amnesty international would probably <laughs> not, not agree there's necessarily a more gentle way of living. yeah yeah you know it's no better or worse you know in, in many ways than ours it's just yeah. different and but the thing the fascinating thing to me is it all comes back to you know two and a half thousand years ago so the re you know what psychologists believe or some psychologists believe it why do we become individualist in ancient greece oh, it's because of the ecology of the place so ancient greece was made mm. up of a thousand individual city states it wasn't like this big one land so so, so you've got these, these very individual kind of city states and and they were they were mostly on little islands and on sort of little coastal kind of crags uh, there was no farming there because agriculture was so you know there was the soil was so poor and there wasn't that much of it because of the kind of ecology and so that forced people to you know we said before all humans want to get along and get ahead so if you're born in ancient greece who have you got to be to get along and get ahead you've got to be an individualist you've yeah. got to start your own business you've got to make olive oil you've got to trade with other countries you've got to be a hustler because that was there was no other way to do it so it's and then from that comes this atomized view of the world now at the same time confucius was knocking around in in, in, in china in ancient china and you see completely the opposite ecologies it's like you know low hills and rolling plains so there was you know so it was kind of tyranny it wasn't like these individual city states this is one yeah. big place no new ideas were coming in because it was so isolated and to get along and get ahead in ancient China where people were kind of growing rice in paddy fields incredibly labour intensive stuff you had to be part of the group yeah. you had to be part of the group you had to have this harmony between the group and then from that um, you get a completely different view of the world this kind of so, so in East Asia people have a much more connected view of the world they're much more aware of context and and and, and this and it's still today this is what kind of blew my mind when they when the psychologists studied the difference between how Westerners and East Asians view the world for example, they'll show them, uh, you know, a picture of a fish in a fish tank just for a few seconds, and they'll monitor where their eyeballs are going, yeah. <laughs> what they're looking at, and and a Westerner will basically focus on that the individual object at the front, the flashy, you know, orange fish yeah. at the front. Whereas the East Asians, their their eyes will move all around the context, and then when you ask them what did you see, the Westerners are more likely to go, well, it was a fish, I saw a fish, yeah. and then the East Asians are more likely to go, well, there was this tank and there was like some rocks in it, and so 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 so, so you know these 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 ancient kind of accidents of ecology are still informing who we are and how we experience the world today. I mean, one of the guys interviewed said, you know, look at the, look at the average street scene in East Asia. Look at what, what you know, it's just for, the, for a Westerner to go into, you know, Mong Kok in Hong Kong at two in the morning. It's overwhelming the amount of complexity in that environment. And, you know, it all apparently is the idea is it all builds up from this, the fact of our eco ecology about yeah. years ago. It's, it's quite incredible. extraordinary stuff. Because that's the, the I love the, the idea that these ancient cultures and codes you know, you say there's a lovely quote where you say, "Voices of long dead minds haunt us <laughs> in the present." Yeah, That's, it's such a wonderful thought that. But but this this there's a kind of a, a lie of autonomy that that we're in complete control when in fact there are all these different things playing underneath the surface. Yeah, that's it. So we, one of the kind of more disturbing kind of ideas that have come out of of neuroscience and psychology in, in the last few decades is this idea of confabulation. Um, so, so you know mm. what um, yeah, we've all been in a situation probably where we've been in an art gallery with somebody we fancy and we've gone oh I like this picture by Roth I like this Rothko yeah <laughs> and, and, and the person with you goes what do you like about the Rothko and you go uh, well, well I mean the, the, you know and you just start making up a lot of rubbish yeah. don't you right <laughs> so you're effectively confabulating you, you, you know you've had this you've, you've made this unconscious thing that you like this painting and you just make up the rubbish so the idea of confabulation is essentially that we're doing that all the time so we, we have a voice in our heads telling us 
why we believe what we believe, why we're doing what we're doing. Why do you want to be a DJ, Sean? Yeah. Why is it, what, you know, why are all these things important to you? And this voice has no direct access to our unconscious. It has no access to the, to the stuff that's making us behave. So, uh, you know, a lot of times it's right that, yeah. you know, you, you went to the kitchen to get a Coke because you're thirsty. Okay, fine. But for a lot of the other stuff, especially the more complex stuff, we have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, people, we, we, we have this kind of false idea of free will. I mean, some psychologists even believe we actually have no free will at all. We're I mean, essentially zombies. Yeah. And this voice makes us feel like we're not because it says, oh, yeah, you know. You, you did that for you, your for own the, personal reasons yeah. as opposed to some deep subconscious yeah. reason. I mean, we are who we are because of, you know, genetics, but also culture. You know, so genes is a big thing, you mm. know, like we, we, we just because we can't feel the actions of genes on our behavior, we, we, they're invisible to mm. us. But of course, who we are is a huge part of that is to, just to do with how we're born, the physical structure of our brains. Yeah. It's in our DNA. It's not because I choose, I, you know, I'm shy. I don't like parties uh, because, and I choose to, you know, keep myself away from them. You know, that, that, that stuff is, you're not choosing any of that yeah, stuff. You something know, being dredged. Yeah, I choose to be a Trump supporter. I choose to be a Clinton supporter. We don't really choose whether we're left wing or right wing. We are what we are as a result of lots of things we, which we have no control. And that voice in our heads T- is there for tell us we're right and to tell us we have control and to tell us all the people around us who are who, who are saying something else they're wrong so it's to make us feel good about ourselves to give us this kind of heroic yeah. feeling about who we are and it, and it, you know and it, it's it's um it's it, it's it's not really real you say that in the contemporary world there are a myriad of ways in which many opportunities for failure in modern society what what do you mean by that yeah, I so said one of the really interesting um, things that sort of because I, I was sort of investigating, you know, what does it mean that we're in this age of perfectionism? Are we becoming more perfectionistic, or you know, is that why we're seeing all these sort of unpleasant um, trends in the kind of medical uh, um, um, literature? And there's a really interesting guy called Gordon Flett who studies perfectionism, and what he said we ha- we don't have the data yet that can tell us anything about that, but what we do know is is is, is that our environment is becoming more you know is, is becoming more perfectionistic so what does he mean by that well one way to see perfectionism is that you're sensitive to signals of failure in the environment mm. so things that make you feel like a failure i see a picture of a beautiful boy on love island and i look at my belly and i go yeah. Ugh. you know it's that we've all been there uh, yeah <laughs> we've all been there uh, and uh, and and so what's happening is our environment is, is becoming more and more full of signals that are telling us that we're a failure so it's a bit like we're not becoming more ticklish but we're surrounded by feather dusters it's the idea <laughs> so so and if you think about you know and that's and that that comes from all, all over the place that comes from our economy our neoliberal economy mm. is harsh these days zero hours contracts yeah. you know um, no support from you know business rec- business there's uh, no job for life anymore the welfare state's being you know torn to pieces so 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 it's hard to yeah. get along and get ahead there's pressure on us you know the big gender revolution means that you know men have got to be more like women and women have got to be more like yeah. as traditionally what men have been like which is great and amazing for all these those obvious reasons but also it puts a lot of pressure on us you know i think i talk about a study at the beginning of a book where they ask women and men what does it take to be a to be a man to be a real man and you've got to be a winner a provider a protector like you see the list and you just think oh my god <laughs> you know what i mean so so so, so you know, and of course and then there's social media yeah in social media they, 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 there's the, the the psychologists call it perfectionist presentation one of the fundamental ways that the human brain understands if you know who we are and if we're decent or not is by comparing us to the people around us Mm. that's just a basic thing and so you know when you're on social media and you're flicking through instagram and you know oh look 
you know, there's uh, Kim Kardashian and there's Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, look, and there's me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're all on the, this platform together. I, 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 and it's just this, you know, and we're surrounded by you know, all our friends, all the people we know are putting the most perfect moments online. And even though we know consciously, oh, I, they've just, that's just their best yeah. shot. It still has that unconscious effect of making us think, oh, God, I'm a bit of a failure, aren't I? It chips away, doesn't yeah. it, I think. And, and uh, is, is social media, it's a problem, isn't it? Because it, in so many ways, it's, I guess, it's a, a positive thing and I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day that for our children uh, of, their, of that generation that's all they know but the, the, it's, un, it's, indeni- it's undeniable that, that there are, it seems or perhaps it's just reported more but young people uh, are suffering from as you've talked about in the book self-harm and 14 mm. year olds sometimes committing suicide because they're being shamed on, mm. on social media and stuff like that is there a way that that we can help ourselves you know can, is, can simplifying your life help your mental health is it, what conclusions have you come to on that score well i mean i think with social media i mean I, I i don't know how that is going to kind of play out in any positive sense because uh y- y- you know it's not as though we can stop people using twitter or you know or anything mm. like that you can't it, invent the atomic bomb no but what i do think and what will be good to see is in the future is, is if we just start having a more healthy view of what the human animal is mm. So, you know, we live in these times of, you know, I read the extract. It was about the beginning of the human, you know, potential movement. And we still live in the, completely swamped by these ideas. You know, like this crazy idea that we only use 10% of our brains. People still kind of believe this. Uh, And and the essential idea was that we were like gods. Humans were like gods and we could do anything. Mm -hmm. And we we had all this potential inside us. And it's just not true. We're not as gods. We're apes. I'm not saying we're like apes. We are apes. We're animals. And, you know, we're biological. like these biological machines that are you know partly we end up who we are because of our genotype and partly it's because because of mostly childhood experiences over which we had no control and once we're in our mid-20s we pretty much are who we are and unless something terrible happens to us like we go to war or Mm. you know we're you know assaulted in some terrible way you know we only change in very predictable ways we you know um so so it's it's just having a greater understanding that we are limited you know, and of course, people go, "Oh, but that's a bit of a depressing point of view." And of course, there should be balance. We want to, we still want to ha- have the benefits of individualism that encourages people to kind of mm. achieve their dreams. But there needs to be that balance, that understanding that you are, we are not as gods. You cannot do anything you want to do. You cannot be whoever you want to be. And that's been sort of comforting to me. You know, I used to beat myself up for mm. being a bit grumpy and a bit of a loner and not really yeah. having many friends. But now I, I understand that's my. That that's who I am. That's that's and it's because of these things I can't control. I like I like. There's a really nice quote towards the beginning of the book about that. Where you, and it kind of gave me a bit of sucker as well because I think we're probably similar in those ways. But you you know you are limited by your own traits and character. At some point, it, there are some things that you just won't be able to do, and that's fine. I yeah, think that's the message there. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. So at the end of the book, there's a guy called Professor Daniel Nettle who studies personality, and and he was and he was just amazing. You know, he, he said, you know, we we, we you know, we, we beat ourselves up for so much, you know, these mm. days. It, 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 I, we just need to stop beating ourselves up for being who we are. And he said, I'm not being, he said, I'm not being sort of, you know, nihilistic about this and saying you should just stop trying. You should stop going, mm. trying to go to work on time because that's just who I am. But he said, you know, if you're not, you know, if, if you're somebody that struggles to get to work on time, you're never going to be the person that gets up at 3am in the morning yeah. to break fresh bread. Yeah. You're never going to be deliciously yeah, okay. Ella. You know, so stop beating yourself up for not being that. And, and, and this is, you know, this is just a sort of very basic sound science, this personality work. Work. It's not that well known because people don't really want to know it. The books that are bestsellers are the ones that 
tell you the lie yeah. that say you, this is how you can be whatever you want That's to be right. um, uh, and you know Daniel Nettle's book is published on a small it's like Oxford University Press you know it's, it's like <laughs> but, but, but that's got the truth in it that's you know that, 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 that we are kind of stuck we are kind of limited we're flawed yes but we're okay Yes, you know, yeah. And the ancient Greeks are to blame for Kim and Kanye. We're learning <laughs> a lot of stuff here, and just, and just quickly, I mean, you know, that you—that's kind of the conclusion in a beautiful way. But I also need to ask you quickly about your experiences at the Acelin Institute. Is yes. that right? Because you, you, there's this lovely bit where you talk about the—I uh, can't remember who it is who says it—the further west you go, the more individualistic the ideas <laughs> become. Uh, you know, the, the more delusional about choice we become until yep. you fall into the Pacific. <laughs> Um, yeah. And this is kind of the experience that you had at that institute, isn't yeah, it? Is so that, this is where the, the beginning of all this kind of wellness and, uh, you know, sort of that kind of approach to life came to being, isn't it? Absolutely. So that, that, actually that quote was from Richard Nisbet, who was the guy that pioneered all this ideas of ancient Greece. And that's what he told me, yeah, the further west you go until you fall into the ocean. And of course that is at the Essendon Institute. And I, mean, I don't know if anyone's seen Mad Men, that's where Don Draper right. ends up at the very last episode at Essendon. And it's an incredibly influential place. And it's where all the sort of big thinkers um, from the human, potential movement kind of gathered and did courses and led courses um <clears throat> and yeah and i went there for it to, to, to do a, like a you know this this course the max and it, it, it was um it, it was kind of extraordinary you know i kind of went there very kind of skeptically and thinking oh god you know this is not me and they're not going to get me and then within sort of five minutes i was tears running down my face <laughs> on this stage it was like oh you know like, they know how to get you there you know they know how to get you. but again they're, they're you know from esalen comes all these different ideas i mean one of the ideas that was really you know pioneered esalen was it, it was the first place that had this idea of, of kind of secular spirituality. Mm. So, you know, like, like, so Eastern ideas about yoga, you know, so, yeah. you know, for, for the middle classes, that really started at Esalen. So it's, it's hugely influential, but also this idea about personal authenticity. So they had this idea at Esalen and the people around Esalen had this idea that the, the, the big change that happened was this Carl Rogers idea that people were good. Mm. So if you think about all of Christianity, uh, even Freud, you know, believed that fundamentally people were bad. They had original sin or mm. Oedipus complex. And, and what we had to do as, as, as humans was to try and overcome this darkness at Essential the core. Darkness, yeah. Yeah. But, 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 these, but these guys said, no, you're wrong. Inside, people are amazing. They're fantastic. And all we have to do is to reach that authentic inner core. So there's got, you know, people like Fritz Perls um, uh, uh, there who was who led these encounter groups um, uh, and it was all about being authentic and it was all about stripping away all the nonsense all the all, all the all the all the kind of outer ideas and the idea was that just you need to be authentic and of course we still see this today in our culture you've mm. only got to watch 10 minutes of big brother or love island and someone's behaving there uh, so someone's excusing that's just the way i am mate yeah, yeah, get used yeah, to yeah, it. yeah i'm just being real right yeah. I, and, and then what's the worst thing you say yeah he's fake she's yeah. fake well no they're just polite <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but, but but yeah so we still have these ideas very much with us and, and it's again it's this false idea that it, 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 the fact that authenticity is good depends on this idea that who we really are is amazing and of course it's not true you know some of us are awful <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting it tends to be the awful people the ones that really embrace this That's idea true. of authenticity so 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 it really influential place and then you know what the other thing that comes out of Esalen is this guy John Vasconcelos who was the leader of the self-esteem movement uh, which is was a big part of you know my childhood mm. going to school with this like this this push in education and parenting to t to bring our kids up to believe they're amazing and wonderful yeah. and special and then from that you know some psychologists see this uh rise in narcissism which yeah. leads through 
to the millennials, you know, which is the millennials, you know. And just, well, you know, there, there are a lot of incredible messages in the book. And there's a lot of sucker in the book. Um, and there's a lot of disturbing stuff in the book. But essentially, you're not that great, but you're okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably one of the nice messages that we can take from it. And it kind of relax a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Calm yeah. down. Stop, be- stop beating yourself up for not being Beyonce. Yeah, that internal <laughs> voice. If you've not, you've, not seen, you've not seen me from the back yet. And uh, I really do pack some incredible buttocks, Will. Um, so I will not take that one. But uh, Will Storr's fabulous book, Selfie, is available in all good and disreputable bookshops uh, right now. Um, pick up your self-esteem from the gutter. Uh, get yourself to the bookstore and buy one. It's going to be a great read. But thank you very much indeed for coming and talking to us about it. It's very illuminating. Great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.